I, I want to start off by talking about, in, in our series, Saints, Sinners, and Saving the World. That, that this is the month, if you've gone to church for any length of time, you know that sometimes the churches not only ask for money, but they tell you why they're asking for money. Asking for money is something that is as old as the New Testament church, as old as the uh, people of God in Israel, too. This is something that we're not afraid to talk about because it's not just about what we're giving to. It's about the heart that we're giving from. It's about a, a lifelong identity of being a follower of Jesus. And I will say that there have been times when I announced that this was, you know, stewardship month, you know, in crass terms, he's going to talk about money month, um, that sometimes people look at their, their spouse and like, hey, maybe we could go get coffee instead. I want to tell you, there is a coffee shop outside, so you could still get coffee, pretend like you're just getting coffee, and then you like don't come back and nobody knows that you left during the sermon. Um, I hope that doesn't happen because I think you're going to learn a lot. And I think you're going to feel something as we talk about this first topic, which is called generosity and generations. And I title it that way because what we do with our resources changes what future generations get to experience. That happens when we make choices about voting. It happens when we make choices about leading our family. It happens about when we make choices about giving to God's work. So anyway, I'm super excited about the, the barbecue fundraiser. Laura and I have not only bought some for ourselves, but we're, there's a neighbor who's always good to us. Well, he's really always good to our dog, but that kind of counts. So we bought him some, uh, some uh, well, him and his wife, some really good barbecue for next week. So that's possible too. If you've already ordered some for yourself, and you're like, yay, we have a neighbor, we have a friend. Uh, maybe there's somebody you're trying to get back on their good side. This would be the ticket. So anyway, the sad thing for me is that when I was in high school, I didn't get to go on a mission trip. We were part of an active church and a good youth group. We did service projects, you know, rake people's leaves and things like that. Um, but we never had that experience of being on this concentrated, get close to each other and get close to Jesus kind of experience. And, and I regret that. And so when I was planting my, my first church in, in Chicago, the team and I, we decided that we were going to take a mission trip. I'm like, please, 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 I didn't get to do it in high school. And they're like, Pastor Dan. I'm like, okay. Um, so what we did was we went to, in the 1997 uh, Red River Flood in North Dakota, Minnesota. I don't know if anybody from that area remembers that. It was devastating. And we went to a, uh, a particular area of the river where a lot of farms had flooded. And there was, there was destruction everywhere. And we got to go to the house of a farmer's widow. I, I, she was probably also a farmer. <laughs> we got to go to an elderly farm woman's house and work on her house. And it was life-changing for the kids and then those adults that are with, it's kind of life-changing for us as well. Um, and I believe that lives, lives get changed on every mission trip. Lives get changed in every ministry that we do, especially, especially the ministries that we pour resources into for the next generation. And it's not just youth ministry, of course. It's our, it's our KP Kids. It's our confirmation programs. It's all the retreats and the, and the adventures that we do. Um, pouring into the next generation is the blessing, I think, of every Christian's life. And so I want to thank you, all of you here who are givers, and some of you, many of you who are pledgers to our ministries, because that's where the resources come from. Us, right? There's no trust fund for churches 
there's a, a couple of tax breaks on the property, right? But mostly, it's just our dollars and our hard work that change lives through the Spirit of God with Jesus' love. So anyway, I want to say thank you. Whether you support just small bits of the ministry like the, like the fundraiser for a barbecue, or whether you support the entire giant kingdom-sized project that God's doing here. I say thank you. Now, the bulk of my message today is a, um, let's see. There we go. The bulk of my message today is a comparison Bible study between, and I think it's fascinating, but I'm the guy that wrote it, so be patient. (laughs) It's a fascinating Bible study between an Old Testament father of almost a dozen kids, and then a New Testament, not married, non-father, and how these two look at the generation that's following them. And my hope is that we, as, as well, not all of us are Christian, right? But, but, I mean, some of you guys are in here just because you're curious or you're, you're skeptics, but your spouse wants you here. I mean, I get that. But all of us together are going to look and see whether one of those two hearts is a heart that we have in how we face and, and deal with the next generation. So I want to start with the Old Testament father. This is a guy named um, Jacob, and he and his brother Esau had separated painfully years and years ago, and they, the separation was caused because Jacob kind of, well, kind of wronged his brother. His mom wanted him to dress up in like his older brother, because his dad's favorite was the older brother, and then sneak into the dad's bedroom while the dad was sick in bed and Barely unable to, barely able to see, and then he he pretended he was the older brother who dad liked more, and that he talked that dad into giving him the blessing and not the older son, who was kind of his favorite. And um, so they were coming together. They were coming together. These two brothers, kind of for a forced reuniting. Jacob had been with his father-in-law, who was also his uncle. You know, kind of the Old Testament stuff. Um, and he was leaving there a rich man because he had swindled his, his father-in-law out of stuff too, just like he swindled his brother out of the blessing. And he was heading back to his homeland. At the same time, at the same time, his brother Esau was coming up to confront him. So there's a lot of tension in the story. Um, I want to start here. Jacob, if you have your Bible, or let's be real, your Bible app, you can open it to Genesis 32. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. He told them, okay, give this message to his brother, to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now I've been living with Uncle Laban, and now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. And I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. After delivering that message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, We met your brother Esau, and he's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Now, Jacob was terrified at the news. I mean, when they were kids, Esau was already bigger and stronger. I mean, he's the guy that was outside hunting and and wrestling and fighting and stuff like that. Jacob was, as the Bible says, a dweller in tents. He hung out inside, right, with his his mother, with the the maidservants, you know, learning how to cook, stuff like this. Um, not, not the kind of guy who's like arming for battle or even for practice. Anyway, so he says, we met Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups because he thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group 
can escape. Then Jacob prayed, oh God, so he prays, he's scared, he does some strategizing, but he also prays. He prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. In other words, Jacob is saying, God, this is your problem because you told me to do this. It's actually what was Jacob's fault too because he swindled his father-in-law and then was no longer a welcome guest in his camp. Anyway, he continues the prayer, and you promised me I will surely treat you kindly, and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. Too many to count. So then, after he sent, divides them into camps, he starts sending all the livestock in, in kind of sections and herds ahead of him, hoping that this will kind of calm his brother down. Are these all gifts for me? Yeah, they are. Your brother Jacob wants to buy your goodwill, basically, is what the message was. But he still had his family with him. Now, he had 11 children from four different wives, two like legal wives and two like servant wives. So this is what happens the night before the meeting. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the river Jabbok with them. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, I mean, don't you just love that? It says, by the way, Jacob was alone in the camp. And then this guy came and wrestled with him like for six hours. Um, The Bible doesn't always give you a lot of padding around uh, topic changes. Um, But he says, when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Then the man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. The name Israel means fights with God, wrestles with God. Jacob said, please tell me your name. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied, and then he blessed Jacob there. And the story ends, as many stories do, with kind of a tying in it, a tying into the location place, because this is how kids, adults, as people in Israel and the ancient and every ancient tribe learned the history of different locations in their area. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Now there's so much to learn in this story. And if I had like a whole sermon series just on this, I would like be on cloud nine because I mean, there's so many great things. We learn that trickery and deceit is par for the course for these Old Testament heroes. You know, we kind of, we kind of filter that back in KP kids. We don't teach them all the, all the things that were kind of wrong or dishonest that the Old Testament heroes did. I mean, that's what confirmation is for actually kind of pulling back the curtain and like, okay, these are real people. These aren't all like picture-perfect saints back there. So we, we, trickery and deceit were par for the course in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And uh, there's lots to learn. It makes it more relatable, I think, to us. Number two, God strengthens our character sometimes, not by giving us peacefulness and success, but he strengthens our character by giving us difficult times that we then have to wrestle our way through. And if we, if we lose, we learn something. If we fail, we learn something. But if we win... We still walk away injured. We still walk away limping because real life conflict 
real life struggles, they cost us something. I don't know if there's anybody in here who's walking into church for this worship service and said, you know, my life has been perfect. I'm really here to thank God for just everything falling into place. Is, anybody, is that anybody? Because I don't want to mock you. Okay, good. <laughs> the rest of us have been through trials, even tribulations. We've been through some hard stuff. And most of us have a limp because of it. Number three, our eagerness for control wants to, makes us want to strategize, yes, but it also wants to name people, to call them names and label. I don't know if you've ever heard any of that in this recent couple months, but that's kind of a thing that we do. And we do it usually because we're either afraid or, or we're mean-spirited. Now, now there's, those two can blend together, but this is a human condition. And you saw all that back and forth with the talk about names. If you knew somebody's name, you had more control over them than if you did not. Remember back to the story of Adam and Eve, when Adam is asked by God to name all the animals. That wasn't just like, like a daytime you know, field trip for the, the Garden of Eden you know, Montessori school. This was, this was Adam's ability to take some control over the nature that he was going to inherit. Anyway, so our eagerness for control makes us want to strategize, name, and label people. And later we're going to see, because Esau doesn't end up staying mad at Jacob at all, Esau forgives him and welcomes him, and they reconcile. It's a beautiful thing. It's not in this part of the story. But there's one other topic that's a little more awkward. And of course, that's why I want to talk about it, right? (laughs) And that topic for me is, human beings sometimes try to make themselves safer in ways that put others at risk. You're like, no, duh. (laughs) I mean, that's what defense budgets are for, right? I mean, that's what allies are for. That's sometimes what Facebook and Twitter is for, right? I'm I'm gonna put other people at risk to make myself feel safer. But that also includes our families. It also includes our families, and this is what I mean. There are times when, there we go, There are times when we might as parents try, I know this never happened to anybody but me, try to kind of influence what our children do so that they will actually make us happier or make our lives calmer or sometimes fulfill a dream that we've always had for ourselves. Maybe we fulfilled it, maybe we didn't, but we want them to have our life because we love our life or at least we love ourselves and hate our life, but we want something better for them. Parents have a way of steering our children in ways that benefit us, but might actually burden or sadden or overwhelm or just be wrong for them. And sometimes that might even cause them risk. We parents sometimes, instead of doing things to protect our children, do things to protect ourselves, at least our egos or our sense of control. And then it's our children who end up wounded and limping. Now, Say you're, say you're, you're outside and you're what, probably a younger, your child at a young age or anybody's child at a young age. You see that child in the middle of the street and there's a speeding car coming. Every one of us, if our, if our brains could think fast enough, would, would leap in front and try to push the child or grab the child and save the child. I have no doubt of that. Right? I mean, that's how we are wired, the older generation, to protect the younger generation. That happens all the time, but... But there are longer-term, more insi- longer insidious ways 
that we might be risking our children, not from something as immediate and violent as a speeding car, but maybe from something that's every bit as dangerous in the long haul, like pressuring them to be successful on our terms or shaming them, even if inadvertently, or just making them feel less than because they're failing at living according to our terms. Maybe it's failing to steer them to find their dreams instead of talking them into loving our dreams for them. And like all of us who want the best for our kids, isn't some of that because we want a little bit wanting them to want what feels best to us? You know, I think there is a little part of us that's willing to sacrifice some of our families, some of our children's interior safety so that we can feel more secure. I mean, we as the grown-ups. Now, now maybe we're challenged on that. Maybe we can, we can see through our own predilections and preferences. But I think it's pretty easy sometimes to sacrifice our kids' psychological, their emotional, and most vulnerable, their spiritual health because of other dreams and visions that we have in order to fit into our schedules, our preferences, our budget, and our expectations, our comfort zones even. Yeah, I think that... Um, there we go. I think that this thing that we have as parents, trying to love the next generation, do what it takes to protect them, but at the same time, being willing to risk them, risk their futures, their spiritual strength, because of our priorities. I mean, I'm not shaming those of you who like, take your kids to soccer or baseball instead of church. I mean, I know that's part of healthy growing up. And I'm certainly talking to the choir as well. I mean, if, if you ask me, or my young adult children, actually, <laughs> if you ask me if I thought my young adult children would, would be happier and more fulfilled if they did things like my wife and me, I would say, absolutely. Do my kids want to do that? Uh, generally, nope. <laughs> do I still try to nudge, nudge them toward my dreams for them? Yes, I do. <laughs> And I don't want to pound on you, but I think I need to poke on all of us, even those of us who are at a, at a, at a child-affirming, life-first, grace-filled church like Cop Prairie. I want, to, I want to tell you what I think is really, really true is that part of a healthy childhood and a confidence-building adolescence and a peaceful, a peace-filled and joyful adulthood is being part of a family of faith. You know, it means participating in church from an early age. These are just some of the girls that uh, Sarah, Sarah Miller, one of our volunteers, uh, she runs the coffee shop. Participating in a church from the earliest possible age helps you have a lifetime of experiences and joys, reminding them that Jesus is their Savior and Jesus' church is a safe and fun place to be. It means supporting our children, as they worship and they learn and they make friends and they learn how to serve. And it's not just our kids, the Christian kids. All children are the same. If this were a mosque or a, or a temple or a synagogue, the leader would probably still say, we need to invest in our children because they need a place where they can worship and learn and make friends and serve. This is a human need that children have Adolescents have in particular, and honestly, even those of us, as we get older, 
It's a need that we still have as well. And finally, I would say, to be the kind of healthy family of faith that God wants us to be, our children, our grandchildren, or the next generation has to see us making a priority of our faith. And that includes, obviously, our time that we give, but it also means the treasure that we give. So I kind of want to take an intermission here. That was the first story I was going to compare to. I want to take an intermission because as we're talking about prioritizing our time and our treasure, when, I, when we're going from asking you to donate a little bit to buy some barbecue and help kids get on a mission trip, uh, especially that, that uh, Native American uh, re- reservation in Minnesota, which I think sounds really cool, instead of asking you to donate a little bit to help a ministry cause, I want to challenge you. I want to ask you to think about giving to a much bigger kingdom cause, the kingdom project of building a healthy, inclusive, impactful church that changes life with Jesus' love. So, for some context of the financial situation we're in, um, Brad Martins, our president, thought, you know what, let's get, the, let's get the smartest people in the room, no offense, at least the smartest people around our tables, <laughs> to come up and talk. So I want to introduce, uh, first of all, um, Board of Trustees Chair, Donnie Tennyson. Donnie, you're... there you are. Donnie's a vice president at J.E. Dunn, and then our own elder board vice president um, and a controller for, is it Dillaval? Close enough, Close enough Dillaval Corporation, um, Matt Erickson. So I've got these guys on the screen, and I will uh, move so these guys can talk to you. Come on up, guys. And you might have noticed I already got the microphone working. Uh, thank you. Wow, it's a lot brighter than it looks up here when you're, when you're sitting down there. Um, so for those that I haven't met, my name is uh, Donnie Tennyson. My wife, Leslie, and I have been coming to Cog Prairie for the, the better half of 12 years now. Uh, when Pastor Dan talks about the church being a family, it really hits home to us. Uh, all three of our children were baptized here on this stage. They're back in the Capri uh, Kids Ministry right now. Connor, our oldest, has just advanced to Wild, so we, we like hearing from him about how much fun that he has. But when they talk about the church being a family, it really hits home to us because our, our family has, has grown up here. Um, you might recognize my wife, Leslie. She uh, does a lot of check-in work on Sunday mornings or at VBS. Uh, she's going to be hanging around after service today helping with the, uh, with the women's lunch group that is uh, fairly new, I think. Um, for my part, I get to help out with the facility. Uh, got a group of guys here that will probably heckle me after service today that we get to do VBS games uh, for the last several years, which is a ton of fun. Uh, but as Pastor Dan mentioned, talking to you uh, today as a spokesperson on behalf of the Board of Trustees, which is really the, the financial board for, for the church. So um, really just trying to give a brief uh, recap of, of where we are. I want to give a little bit of a look at, at kind of past, present, future. So, so in the past, uh, and, and I'm going to use simple math up here because it's easier for me and I don't like speaking with notes because I'll get lost within them, but uh, at Cobb Prairie's height, back when we had uh, all of our chairs out every every weekend and we had uh, multiple services going, we were about a million dollar a year church from a from a revenue standpoint, uh, which was really a sweet spot for us. Uh, over time, that's kind of ebbed and flowed, which is uh, very natural. Not to mention that we've been trying to navigate a global pandemic, historic escalation, uh, and a whole lot of factors outside of our control. So a few years ago, uh, we were at, at kind of a low revenue point of around seven hundred thousand. And since then, we, we, we've started bringing that back as we, as we get more families coming in and we get more, um, more, more giving that, that comes along with that. So for those of you that were here for our January meeting, we, we landed on a, a total budget for 2022 around 800000 
So for those of you that do finances at home or professionally, really the two big pieces of budgeting you want to look at is what's our revenue, what's our money coming in, and what are our expenses, what's our money coming out. Uh, I wanted to take an opportunity to give a shout out to the staff on the expense side. Um, so to give a little context, when we sat down at the end of last year to put our 2022 budget together, we had about $950,000 worth of expenses that we could have legitimately planned for between uh, program staffing, everything else. Uh, obviously, knowing that our budget was going to be around 800000 we had to cut that back significantly. Through three quarters of this year, despite uh, a, a massive cut in planned expenses for the year, the staff is within 2% of our planned expenses for the year, which is really a testament to their, their commitment to minding the church's resources and making sure that every dollar that's spent is really going where it's going to be the most impactful. Uh, the downside, uh, unfortunately, when you're looking at it is from a revenue standpoint. So when we budget as the Board of Trustees, and, and I don't know if Karen, our treasurer, is here. Um, she's oh, okay in the back there. Um, Karen is the one that gets to deal with this uh, uh, more so than anybody. But when we go to put our budgeting together for the following year, we really rely on those pledges to try to get an idea of what that revenue is going to be. We know that we're going to have pledged money coming in. We know that we're going to have unpledged. But really figuring out that unpledged is, is difficult for us. So as I mentioned, for 2022, we had about an $800,000 budget planned. And unfortunately, we're tracking about 20% behind that for the year, which is significant, but something that we are continuing to work on throughout the year, as well as looking into changes that we can make for 2023. So what we're talking about uh, as, we, as we go into 2023 is um, continuing to see what we can do to cut cost. That might be pulling back on some programs. That might mean not putting new mulch outside, seeing some of those things that we can, that we can pull back on. Uh, but on, on the other side of the equation, it's going to be um, trying to see what we can do to grow that revenue side. We have a ton of families that have been um, extremely generous throughout, uh, throughout the years, and, and hopefully they can continue to do so, as well as see as maybe if they can expand that a little bit. Uh, but then also we have, we've had some new families come in or some families that over the years for one reason or another uh, haven't been willing to, uh, to make that pledge. And we're going to ask everybody over the next several weeks to talk amongst your families and see, um, you know, really see what's right for your family this year. And, and I'm sure Pastor Dan will be speaking about it more here as we, we go a little bit further on. So um, with that said, that's, that's my two cents. I'll pass it over to Matt. Thank you, Donnie. Um, so I'm Matt Erickson. I am one of the elders. Um, I don't know if you have the picture, I think. Um, one of the six elders plus Dan that uh, represent you there. Um, so yeah, as Donnie said, uh, I don't have any numbers to add, uh, but uh, it's, it's more about the forward-looking ask. Um, so my family has been here since the beginning, uh, actually back in the Mize cafeteria days. To, so I think that's 2004, if I'm not wrong. Um, so that's almost two decades, right? No, and, and Donnie's right. Over the two decades, uh, certainly ebbs and flows, um, general economy, as well as here in church, right? And, and we're not at our peak right now, as Donnie mentioned. So um, I guess on behalf of the elder board, um, I get to do the ask, right? Um, we have our pledging Sunday coming up uh, later this month. So um, really the ask is for those who have not pledged, uh, please do. It helps with the planning. Uh, for those who've pledged before, thank you. Um, ask you to join me, Donnie, Dan, and others, uh, even increasing your pledge for 2023 so that we're not just keeping the lights on. 
very bright lights. Um, <laughs> so we don't want to just keep the lights on. We want to invest in the future the way Dan, um, you know, the rest of this message, Dan's going to talk about generations to come. Okay? It's not just about today. It's about investing in, in this place as a home for people that come after us. So thank you. All right. Thanks, you guys. Now, of course, we're, we're clapping for the, the succinct and helpful summary and the inspiration. We're also just clapping for the courage. Hardly any of you want to come on this platform and do anything, preach or like, but, but to come up and then talk about money and ask for more, that's like the hardest job in the church. So I love you guys and, um, and this uh, beautiful church that we're building together. So I said a contrast was going to happen, a comparison contrast. I wanted to talk about Jacob... And then for the second, just a much shorter part, I want to talk about this single, unmarried, non-father in the New Testament who also had something to say. Who do you think I'm talking about? It's got to be Paul or Jesus, right? But I'm going to land, I'm going to land the plane on Jesus, right? I think that's a, I, think that's a, I mean, not on Jesus, but I mean, I'm going to, he, Jesus is my pilot. <laughs> so that's where we're going to go. So anyway, I want to tell you a little bit about Jesus and um, I'm going to start out here in Mark chapter 10. So that's Mark chapter 10, verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. Now, and I'm guessing most of you that are, I mean, parents of, of, of mothers or uh, fathers, grandmothers, grandpas, but the, we're talking about guys now especially, because in ancient times, the women, the grandmothers, the mothers, they did all the raising, the aunts and all that. It was very unusual for an adult male to cuddle or welcome or tolerate young kids, especially in public. Well, especially everywhere, right? So, so what the disciples were doing was not unusual. They were like doing the cultural thing. It was Jesus, Jesus, who's going to do something different. You see, when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I don't know. Have, anybody, have any of you been in a work situation where your boss, maybe you've kind of let something go or you made it too low on the priority list. And, and your boss, we'll use this guy, and your boss says, hey, Dan, I'm going to need those reports by Friday at noon, okay? And I'm like, I got gotcha, you. I know. They'll be there. And if he says, nope, I need those reports by Friday at noon. Don't not get them to me by Friday at noon. That's a whole different message, right? <laughs> That's what Jesus said. He said, look, let the children come to me, one, don't not let them come to me, too. This is so important to Jesus that he's like really literally rubbing it in. He wants them to know that investing in children is a very big deal. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their hands and heads and blessed them. I mean, when he says he took them into the arms, right? You know he couldn't be standing up. It's not like they formed a communion line. I bless you. I bless you. I mean, they gathered around. He was seated on his, on his, he was seated, right? And he put them on his lap. 
And he probably called them by name, although, of course, Mark wouldn't, or none of, nobody would have written it down because nobody would have noticed, but Jesus would have. He would have called them by name. He was trying to say that your kids matter and don't say that they don't. And because Jesus expects us, his church, his body, to be his partners in redeeming this world that he came to save, he challenges us to remember to invest in our children too. And what a contrast that was to Jacob, right? Jacob, who was willing to hopefully not have the kids get hurt, but willing to chance it to protect himself, to protect his security, physical and financial. And Jesus, who tells the disciples and everybody around, not only let, your, not only let these children come, but let strangers' children come. Let anybody come to me for a life-changing experience. On November 20th, like uh, our... Our friends, uh, Donnie and Matt, said, we are going to do Pledge Sunday. Um, this is about, I don't know why I didn't have a, a newer picture. This is several years old. Um, so if uh, Kevin and Jen, Jenny are here, that's, that's you. Um, <laughs> not yesterday. Uh, anyway, so, uh, so anyway, we're going to be doing that. We're going to be coming up front, and I'm asking you now just to consider, start thinking about whether you're willing to make a pledge that's, that's big enough that you'll notice it. Maybe even big enough to be sacrificial, to help grow and bless the children who flock to our church to be blessed by Jesus. If you're on the email list, I'm going to send you another story on Tuesday. There's so many good ones that are, that are falling out. I just can't keep up with them. But okay, I'm going to finish the sermon now. I'm going to, I'm going to close up with it. I want to tell you a little bit more about that flood story. So the kids on that first mission trip that year um, they were working hard. They were remodeling really the first floor of this flooded house. They were only able to do that. I mean, the new dry, uh, dem- demolish it, do the new drywall, put new kitchen and, and bath fixtures and, and walls in and tile. They were only do that because adults with trade skills volunteered to go with them, right? So, I mean, it took adults from that church to make this thing happen. So then every night they would go back to the, the base camp and then they would, you know, clean up and then eat and then and then eat some more, and then worship, and then goof off, right? I mean, kind of a mission trip routine. But during the week, halfway through, one of the kids said, you know, we're doing all this work for them, and it's, they, she really needs it, but I wonder if there's something else we could do, like just to like, you know, remind her that we're doing this not because we're nice, but because Jesus. And, the, and then it turns out in this group of 20 kids, there were two of them were high school girls who were dancers. I mean, like, you know, they went to dance classes or schools, and, and they were also budding choreographers. So these two, these two high school girls talked the entire other 18 kids into doing a dance on the farmer's yard in front of the flooded fields and the river that had flooded them. And they talked them into doing this. And they talked them, even the red-headed offensive linemen with freckles who did not want to be embarrassed. They did. They practiced and then they performed a beautiful rendition of uh, the Rich Mullins song, um, Apostles' Creed. On top of the, all the sweat, blood, and bruises that they gave to that woman to help her get her life back together, they then gave her this song, which was a gift of worship but a confession of faith that we're not going to leadership school so we can be better leaders in our career. We're not, we're not going, to, we're not going to, to junior rotary so we can learn how to serve. We're, we're here from the church of Jesus Christ because that's, that's the gift we want to give you. 
And when those, when those kids at the very end of that, of that, I don't know what you call it, a dance, a choreography, the linebacker didn't move too much. But, but you know, they moved their arms to the music and the lyrics. And I just remember at the very end, whatever they were doing with their arms, I can't remember, they just all put their arms to their side. And then on the final end note, they all bowed their head. These are high school kids. And you'd think people would applaud, but nobody applauded. They were crying. The widow was crying. The chaperones were crying. The neighbors that had heard there was something weird going on at her house were come over and they were crying. And then later on, they whooped it up. But what they had seen was a wonder. They had seen a wonder that God did. It changed not only the children's lives, the teenagers' lives, but changed the life of the farmer's widow who had to look at this disaster of a house and trust that God would help her put it back together. I tell you this, Caw Prairie, because I believe that God is going to do miracles and wonders here. Here, especially here, especially in the future. And I believe that he will do that. He will do that to change not only our generation, but generations to come if we make sure that our generation and theirs are full of Jesus and generosity and the courage it takes to sacrifice for others beyond ourselves. In the name of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, trusting on the wonders of Jesus. Amen.